Hey, walkers, thanks for joining us again on this beautiful Monday morning. And no matter what the weather is outside, we don't know because it's pre-recorded, but (laughs) (laughs) whatever the weather is and whatever you're going through, thank you for being here with us and listening to this amazing story we have of a great friend of ours. It's going to be a blessing and an encouragement and just know that you are in it, we are in it, our guests are in it. We're in it together, mm-hmm. and we're going to get there. Let's go. I don't know what kind of struggle you're going through. I don't know what the situation may be, but you serve a mighty God. Good morning, everyone. We're good morning. Here. <laughs> good morning, good morning. <laughs> I want to um, just give a little bit of a backstory on how we met this guest that we have. Um, It was the first time I ever decided to do a small group. And I Mm -hmm. think I was doing it partly because I knew coming back from the mission trip that I had recently been on, I wanted to continue to um, keep my commitment going um, with God in that season. And Um, and I think a part of it also is because Catherine said she was doing a small group too. And I think that's when I started to be like, Ooh, I want to get to know her a little bit more. So (laughs) that's a side note, but basically we signed up for the same, um, small group and it was weird because, um, she had signed up for it and I was like, ah, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to have time to do it. But then I looked and there was like literally one spot left for the male side. And I was like, that's a God thing. Let me jump on it. Or at least that's what I was telling myself. Mm-hmm. So signed up, got into the small group and showed up and just completely like felt comfortable and at home. And, um, our guest and her co leader for small group, Jesse has, um, really just made a family like made the past, I think three small group seasons we've had, we've kind of uh, have our own little family and it's been awesome to just be a part of something like that. And I remember the first when when I was going through a difficult season with just thinking about next steps in the future, I had one of those after meeting um, prayer, we had prayer partners and Lindsay Coons was one of them. I'm going to finally say your name. Now you can actually talk. <laughs> um, but you were one of them and you just really like uh, made me feel heard and you made me feel um, just comfortable and excitable and that I had support uh, around me. And that was the first time that I was like, you know what, I can start opening myself up to other and new people. Cause I always, uh, sometimes I tell people I don't keep a lot of people around me very close, but Um, I think it's because I've always kind of put up walls to make sure like, hey, is this person really somebody like for me and things like that. So I think through this small group and the family um, that you guys have created through it and just the community, it's been amazing. So Lindsay, how are you doing? Um, Introduce yourself and how quarantine is going for you. Oh, that was such a warm welcome, and (laughs) I am in such a good mood now. It makes me so happy just to hear how the small group has impacted you and I love that you called it a family because I really feel like that is what it's become and um, to your point about you know testing the waters and seeing whether you can trust people I feel like over the past almost a year now it really has become a place where people do feel 
um, very safe and open and trusting of all the other members of the group. And, and so I love that. That's been your experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like you said, my name is Lindsay Coons. And I guess a little bit about myself. I am originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. I have been living in Chicago for just about two years now and started going to Soul City Church, which is where I met both Catherine and Julian. <laughs> Um, almost again, two years now, and have been leading a small group for the past year, work at a med tech startup, which has been really interesting actually during these current pandemic times. Um, but yeah, I guess during, during this quarantine felt very fortunate to still have a job and be working. And, um, it's really turned out to be a time of rest, which Mm -hmm. has been really nice. I know that's not true for everyone's experience, Mm -hmm. but I definitely would say that I was um, overcommitted would be an understatement of my past couple of months leading up to this. And so it's been a really nice time to just rest (laughs) after all that was going on. Definitely. So what does uh, like a work day or weekday look like for you during this time? And also a two parter. What is your support system like during this time? Mm, Great question. So I'd say a typical work day or just day in the life during quarantine has been pretty slow mornings. I typically would have had two roommates here, but neither of them were able to quarantine at the apartment during the time. So it's been very quiet in the mornings, which is pretty nice. I just have a slow morning. And then for work, we start off with um, a scrum meeting. And so Mm. basically just 15 minutes, everyone does an update of what they did yesterday, what they're planning to do today. It's a great way to keep everyone accountable as well as check in. We have a very close-knit team, very small um, the traditional startup feel where small, you wear a lot of different hats. Um, And then pretty much just go about with my daily activities that I would do for work. Some weeks are busier than others. So the days where it's not quite as busy, um, I try and get out and go for walks. My boyfriend lives about a five minute drive, 10 minute walk for me. So sometimes it's really nice just to be able to hop over there for a change of scenery. We'll do some work together during the day, make dinner, Um, and then in the evenings, it's either just kind of relaxing and watching a show. Um, I'm currently in the process of doing my revisions for a book I've been writing. And so that takes up some time. Um, and then just the usual weekly small group meetings and things like that. Still trying to stay in touch with friends. Having things and people around us to stay sane is so key right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I will say is that I feel like during this time, some people have almost been over supporting, if that makes (laughs) sense. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but it's like, almost like, tell us a little more, (laughs) (laughs) like an incessant amount of zoom calls. And I think people like, Oh, let's stay connected. Let's reach out. Mm -hmm. But then we're doing the exact same thing we were doing before quarantine and just overloading our schedules with (laughs) trying to stay in touch and trying to reach out. And Sometimes I'll get off a Zoom call and be like, I'm not sure if I feel more refreshed or more drained mm, after that because it's yeah. not quite the same level of interaction as an wow. in-person time to be together. And so I think as far as support goes, I've tried to sort of limit the amount mm. of things that I will like take on. Like I, I don't want to have seven nights a week where I'm popping exactly. on a different Zoom call with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so really just keeping it to that close group of friends and family and leaving like at least one night of the week open where I don't have anything. 
um, or anyone that I'm trying to stay in touch with has yeah, been helpful sure. for me. Yeah, that's a good point because when you are so overloaded, you can't give fully to like what you're in. So it's like you always need that that Sabbath almost to recharge mm-hmm. and refuel. Yeah. Yes. I love that point. And that's actually something that we've talked a little bit about throughout the course of our small group is mm-hmm. that idea of a Sabbath. And yeah. especially in Western cultures, we do such a poor job of really respecting that. But I think it's so important to keep that one day a week of truly just rest where you yeah. can spend time with the Lord. You can rejuvenate, you can prepare for the week, you can do whatever it is that you need to do in order to kind of recharge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a Sabbath day before going into this quarantine? Oh, unfortunately not. <laughs> very, it's hard. Very overcommitted, yeah. And now are you finding yourself kind of seeking that out? Absolutely. I think mm-hmm. if we do, if and when we do go back to quote unquote normal life, mm-hmm. that is something that I will most definitely prioritize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good stuff. And I love that you take that point of view because a lot of us, you know, me included, take it from the point of like, yeah, I have more time. I want to just like do all these other things. And I feel like even with this podcast, I was kind of thinking about it. And I look at my calendar like before this, Lindsay, I'll be honest with you. I never kept a calendar. I was always just going to I've helped to the him flow. in that way. And, <laughs> there you go. And for, for each and other on. <laughs> And for you being a type one, you're probably like, oh, Lord, this guy. But <laughs> I'll be honest, I got a little Enneagram. bit of anxiety when right? you said <laughs> I felt it. I felt it. But <laughs> but yeah, like now we're looking every day and it's been a blessing to be able to do this. But we're looking every day and we're like, man, like I have a call this day, this day, that day, like along with uh, work during the day, like trying to record mm-hmm. calls on the weekend and at night. Um, but it has been yeah, I looked back and I was like, I need a day where it's like nothing. So Mm -hmm. we were doing, we were trying to do like Thursday night recordings. And I was like, you know what? I think like Thursday is going to be the, the, like Sabbath, the day off from everything. Um, obviously I have to work, but like at night, I don't want to think about anything, social media. Uh, I don't want to think about anything podcast. Like I just want to have that night to myself. Um, and kind of just go from there. But yeah, I never kept a calendar. Now I have like two calendars, one in the kitchen that she helped me hang up and one over here in the office. So different things going on, but I feel like a better person for it. So (laughs) it just keeps you you accountable. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But it's good to hear that you're doing well. And I love um, that we still get to check in on Wednesdays with small group um, every week and that it's been extended through this time too. So that's been awesome. And we'll talk a little bit more about how you got into that a little bit later, but I want to backtrack now and I want to learn about you and more of how you grew up um, as a Christian or finding God through your childhood or whatever that age was. But um, I know you said you're from North Carolina. Take us back there. Is that the, considered the East Coast, right? Mm-hmm. All right. That's actually a good question. I would have called it the East Coast, but okay. apparently... The East Coast is a very specific region of the Northeast, oh. which does not include North Carolina. Wow. I've been harshly corrected on this point by many oh. Midwesterners. Wow. So we're well, going to call it the Southeast. All right. Well, good <laughs> thing I asked. <laughs> yeah. So I don't get any backlash from this podcast. All um, right. Well, take us. Some people refer yeah. to it as the South or the Southeast. But yeah, we'll, we'll go there. We'll, yeah, we'll go on take that us journey. Take us um, to school on what it was like just growing up there. But as as you, you know, who you are. Yeah. So I have always grown up in the church. My parents were very intentional about raising myself and my three other siblings 
um, in the church and just not only taking us to church, but making that a part of our life growing Mm. up. Uh, I always remember sitting around the breakfast table and doing devotionals with my mom and we would memorize different scriptures and practice just different virtues, I guess, of obedience and, um, just things like that. And they did, they did a wonderful job raising us in that way. Mm. Um, and that continued on throughout. I mean, I can't ever remember a Sunday not going to church, to be honest. Um, went to youth group throughout middle school as well as high school was very involved and invested. Um, around middle school, we switched churches to a Southern Baptist church, which was very close to our home and got really involved in the community there and made some of my closest friends that I still stay in touch with who are kind of scattered about now. But yeah, I would say that church and Christianity and my faith have always been a core part of who I am and the life that I live. Um, I was also very involved in gymnastics growing up and that took a lot of time. I also grew up homeschooled, which is not oh, something wow. I, I typically not share. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It comes up like maybe once every six months. And I feel like everyone forgets in the meantime. <laughs> I've told certain people at least three times and they can never remember. Yeah. Um, but that was also just another way that my parents intentionally tried to raise us um, just with that Christian worldview, I think. Yeah. And um, that was, I know, one of the, the driving factors behind their decision to do that. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me and my journey of, you know, being a Christian. And of course that evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked a little bit about this, Julian, yeah. but just my, as you mentioned earlier, I am a one on the Enneagram, <laughs> which is that very perfectionist personality type. Yeah. And so I think growing up a lot of my, I guess, dedication faith was based on the idea, which I didn't realize at the time, but that, if you are a good Christian, you sort of earn your salvation. Mm, mm-hmm. And at the core, theologically, like I would have never said that's how you are a Christian. Yeah. Um, I fully believe that it was through confession and acceptance and believing in who Jesus was and the sacrifice that he made and being risen again was what gave you salvation. But mm-hmm. I don't think I was living that out in the way I was believing that. And yeah. so I think it really took until about halfway through college for me to realize that I was putting my faith in my own actions and Mm -hmm. being a good enough person and being a good enough Christian, not doing certain things so that I would be blessed or rewarded in other areas. Um, and kind of having that startling recognition of that's what I was actually believing in. Um, and then there was a period of time where instead of running towards God in light of that, I kind of Mm -hmm. took a step back and was like, well, I don't know what to do with this new knowledge and had a very dry season where I felt like I wasn't connected to God, wasn't hearing his voice. And that was Um, when you were studying abroad, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent about six months abroad in the country and it was a very formative time. And I started realizing a lot of the things that I had just always done. I'd always Mm -hmm. gone to church. I'd always involved myself in Christian community. And for that six months, I really pulled back from all of that. Um, And it kind of, brought me away from God. But when I did slowly start walking back towards a relationship with him, it was, I think from a truer perspective of no, like I'm, I don't have salvation because I'm a good person or good Christian. It's because Mm -hmm. I'm a sinner. And now I've, I've actually recognized that in my own life that I've made sinful choices and I've done things that have pulled me away from God, but he still pursues me. Yeah. Mm. So when you, so, so did you, 
kind of make that start making that shift away from being actively in the church before you went abroad? It was because I was abroad. I was okay. actually very involved in a small group. I was going to Summit Church, which is a big mega church led yeah. by J.D. Greer, and was very involved leading all the way up to going. And I started going a couple of times to a Hillsong church when I first got there and tried to seek community. And then just over time traveling on weekends and going out with friends on Saturdays and not wanting to wake up and go to church by myself on Sundays. And just sort of over that six month period of not being in community and not being poured into really, I think I saw for the first time how Mm -hmm. important community was because Mm -hmm. it does keep you accountable and it does feed you in that way. Yeah. And that's such a good point that it's so easy to get stuck in like the cycle of, of, you know, those like not bad decisions, but the, the, the decisions that pull you away from closeness with God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. especially when you don't have, you know, those people in your life that are kind of your anchor that help pull you back it is so difficult and it's so easy to get lost in that cycle. And then months have gone by. That same thing happened to me in college where you realize, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about mm-hmm. God in weeks. I haven't, I haven't sought him out. I haven't, I haven't sought anything out and no wonder I'm feeling so, so empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's always gradual. I think it's very mm-hmm. rare that it's like a plummeting decision. It's always one small decision leads to the next small decision. And all of a sudden you're hundred miles away from where you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. I had kind of the opposite, um, where I was like, I grew up in church my whole life and I went through that dry season. I think a little bit before I decided to go finish high school in Florida, uh, cause I wanted to, you know, chase the baseball dreams. And I went to a school out there that was like, you go to school from, you know, college schedule, you go to school from eight to 10 in the morning, then you play your sport the rest of the day. It was really, um, for me, that's like, I put that as a God in my life, I feel like. And from then on just went through such a dry season until I transferred, like I lost, I tore my shoulder, ended up moving back to Chicago, um, and then finally found the college that I work for now, Trinity Christian College, which it was like the first time I could be myself, it felt like, in, mm-hmm. a, in a college setting where we know if you go to a big school or if people choose certain colleges for certain reasons, like, I kind of like this place fell into my life um, and brought me a little bit closer to back to God. Like that was kind of, I think the start of me just getting closer and closer. And then, you know, obviously we, we go through those bumps in between, but yeah, it's, it's so, um, interesting to hear it from that side because I know a lot of people, once that consistency leaves their life, especially for somebody being so consistent, you know, with practicing since you've been a young child, once that consistency leaves and it's hard to find somewhere else to go, or maybe you just get caught up in the experiences of other things, um, you know, it, it's really hard to like even set yourself back in track. You, you almost, like Catherine said, you have anchors in your life, but you almost have to become your own anchor in a mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is a difficult transition back. And I will say kind of when I came back and was reintegrating with just going back to my normal college schedule and seeing all of my old friends, there was a very odd period of time where I feel like I was sort of struggling through what my faith looked like. And prior to leaving, I'd sort of been more of the maybe spiritual leaders or guides Mm -hmm. that a couple of my friends had looked to. And so seeing me struggle with that sort of threw them off. Mm -hmm. And instead of them 
constantly inviting me to church or groups or things that I wasn't really interested in going to, they sort of gave up on that. And there was one friend, um, I'll give him a shout out, Tyler Will, who consistently, consistently, Mm -hmm. consistently asked me and invited me and kept just being with me and staying with me. And I think if it wasn't for him, that season of dryness would have lasted a lot longer. And so sometimes all it takes is that one person to continue reaching out and checking in and inviting, even for that person, if they don't feel like they're making an impact, if, if you were to go back and look at it, I really think that that's crucial in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back. You did mention um, you would always look at your um, faith as something to be earned or like the rewards. You know, you talked about rewards or being given rewards for doing the good things. And then we look at your uh, personality. And I know I mentioned mentioned this on the phone call we had because the theme like came to my mind was like what what your person, like your personality versus your practice, like what mm-hmm. you use your personality as like, if I'm doing good, if I'm doing this and I'm doing that, all the right things, it'll happen versus like, if you actually put the work in practice, be present, how that changes your life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I will talk about that because it's something that I've been thinking a lot this week since we mm, spoke about yeah. it. And, and sort of to give all the listeners a little backstory, we were just talking about, you know, each person is uniquely gifted and has different talents and perspectives of looking at the world. And that impacts the way they approach scripture and they approach their relationship with the Lord. And that doesn't change the truth that's found in scripture. That doesn't change Mm -hmm. what we believe about God, but it does change how we come to the Lord and what we bring to the table just as part of the body of Christ. And so I think that for me, believing or having maybe more of that perfectionist personality where I just have this lens where I see what is wrong in the world mm-hmm. and what could be made better, yeah. which is both a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of those things where I struggle to look at myself and see all of like the sin and the negative things mm. because I think, well, I'm doing everything I can in my life to do everything right. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm, I'm the one earning isolation, I'm doing things right. I'm mm. controlling this. Wow. I'm controlling that. And then I think having to step back and actually read the scriptures and have a fuller understanding of what Jesus did for us and the fact that we are all sinners mm-hmm. and no one can come to the Father except through Christ. Yeah. And I think that, to your point, the the way that impacts the practice is just constantly being in a state of confession, which is mm. not something that I have done a good job of until recently and not that I do a good job of it now, but I think especially for someone who actively tries to be so perfect in all Mm. other areas, realizing that my identity and my worth is not found Mm. in the quality of my work Mm. or the way that I live my life. My identity is found in who I am through Jesus. And so that's just a constant reminder that I have to tell myself, but I think that's hopefully answers the question of practice and and personality type. That's so good because we can get so easily caught up in like what, what we feel, you know, we're doing and, and what we feel is the right way to do it when in reality, and this is such a theme too. I feel like we're hearing from a lot of people as well is just like learning how to give up that control of what you think is the best for you or for everybody else, Mm -hmm. you know, and knowing that there is no other good way than the way that God intended it to be. And, and once you kind of 
it almost takes a burden off of you. It almost takes the, the feeling of pressure off of you, even though you want to kind of cling on a little bit more, but it takes that pressure off to know like, man, there's so much, someone so much greater in control of it all that all I have to do is ride the wave, man, and let him do, do what he's doing. And I love, I love that you brought that up about the identity. And, and that's something that I struggle with as well, too. Yeah. And I think especially in just the culture that we're in, Mm -hmm. it makes it even more challenging because it's all about finding your worth in Mm -hmm. your work or your hobby Mm -hmm. or that extra something that sets you apart. And I think especially now, given the current state of the world, we're all in quarantine, we're in a pandemic, we're not posting everything on our social media feeds as a highlight reel because no one's out doing anything and we're really all Mm -hmm. just stuck with the realization of who am I outside of what I do. And I think that a lot of people, instead of leaning into that and trying to like press into that and figure that out, it's almost a numbing effect. It's like, well, I don't know who I am without all that. So I'll just (laughs) wait until we get back to normal life. And I think it's really an invitation to start exploring what that means. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. That's such a good point. And that's what I feel like really the past couple of weeks, especially, you know, I've feel like I've had to face a lot within myself. Um, so what has been your experience just the past month or so that we've been in this? Like, what have you, what have you had to face within yourself or what has God shown you about yourself in this time that is challenging? Ooh, I was really hoping you wouldn't ask that question, Catherine. <laughs> this is where the walls come down. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think that over the past couple of weeks, I have really started to see some of the anger, I guess, mm-hmm. in my life. And it's not like this explosive running around yelling kind of anger, but it is just my immediate reaction to a lot of things. Mm-hmm if I see or feel like something is wrong or not being done in the correct way or is wrong towards me, instead of just assessing the situation and waiting to see what the other person's intention is, I just have this like immediate rising feeling of tension and anger and Mm -hmm. irritation. Um, (laughs) And I don't think that's something that I would have recognized outside of kind of reading up on my Enneagram type. Mm -hmm. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's not one of those things where it's like, I'm excusing or saying, Oh, I'm just this way because it's my personality type. But it really is, I think a way to assess why I do the things that I do Mm -hmm. and not just leaving it at that, but how do I then go and start refining that part of my life? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I really think just the anger and my response to things and realizing that that stems a lot from pride. And I was reading a book the other day that talked about um, those who are humble are basically friends of Jesus. That's the example he set. And anyone Mm -hmm. who's proud is in direct opposition to God. And that Mm -hmm. is a scary place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think really just kind of recognizing that in myself and then being like, okay, God, how do I turn this over to you? And I think it's going to be like a lifelong process of sanctification of recognizing that and not giving into that temptation to respond in that way. Mm. Yes. But that's certainly one area that's been coming to light. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's, it is a lifelong process. And especially with those things that 
like we are more naturally inclined to anger or for me, I'm like really naturally inclined to sadness, but also like overreaction. So Mm -hmm. that's the same thing. It's like, you know, I feel like I was waiting for a long time for, okay, it's no, like, it's no longer a problem. I'm healed from it, but it's like the littlest things trigger it back. But every time that that happens, I, I'm like working to develop a, a pause in between, Mm -hmm. uh, like the thing happening and the reaction. And in that pause, it's like, you know, that's where you can like lean on God, but you know, the pause doesn't always come. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the reaction (laughs) comes first, but you know, it's still just that, that grace that God has and the people around you too, that offer grace and forgiveness every time. Mm-hmm. You do something stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really She's good like point. looking at me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, thank you for for uh, just being so so forgiving of me, me <laughs> all the too. time. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that is something so. It, it, it's a hard thing to admit something about ourselves. Like you said, it's just when you have to finally. Um, think about it or be even be forced to think about it um that it's a real thing it it can either scare you and be like no i'm not like that makes you defensive but in order to um embrace it it says a lot about uh you in that time and then just knowing like hey what are the things that i can do to be better to myself about it like forgive myself for it like know like hey like this is just what i'm feeling and that's okay um, it's hard for people to do that, but it sounds like you are fully aware of it. And that's the most, I feel like that's so important just for people to be self-aware in those, in those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's one of those things that sometimes it's good to be self-aware <laughs> sometimes <laughs> when you're overly self-aware, I, I guess this might just be one of my quirks or things, yeah. but kind of having that running monologue, of like all the things I could have done better, mm-hmm. should have done mm-hmm. better. And that self-critical mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, Julie, and I think self-awareness is definitely an important first step. And then everything that comes after that is sort of an indication of where your heart is at. Mm. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's good to recognize that and then not just sit with that, but decide what do I want to do with this knowledge? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember reading the Enneagram book and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it was in the one chapter, but they were talking about that voice of the self-critic and how mm-hmm. it's so easy for that voice to turn in at yourself. Yes, absolutely. And I think externally it comes across as people feeling like you're being critical of them or, or nagging or nothing's ever good enough. And that's mm-hmm. almost just an overflow of what's constantly happening in like their own mind and their mm-hmm. own head. It's that running reminder of like oh you did that wrong oh look at that that should be better oh you can correct that or why didn't you do that and Mm -hmm. that sort of spills out onto other people not necessarily intentionally but just sort of as an overflow and so Mm. yeah that self-critic is definitely something I personally struggle with and others with my similar personality probably do as well Mm -hmm. and how does that feed into your damaging thought about yourself kind of the lie that you tell yourself you know, you wake up every morning and it's something that you're, you're combating, you're fighting against. Yeah. I think it's the, a combination of you can be doing something better. Like nothing is ever good enough. Mm. And that leading to an overcommitment in things thinking that, um, you can do this better. And if you just take on more things, you can prove your worth through those things. 
Um, and so I think that's one thing that I would consider a damaging thought, just that whatever you're doing, you have to be giving it your all and doing it your best. Otherwise it's not worth doing, mm. um, which really feeds into that idea of like my identity being mm. in the work that I do and the quality of that mm-hmm. work. Mm. Yeah, and <laughs> you, I, we listened to the other podcast you were on earlier this week and, um, you said that you were a gymnast growing up and I know that, um, that's, that's a mindset that I think a lot of athletes have mm. is that you're always, you, even if you hit a goal, you're then just focused on the next goal and at, you know, everything you're training to be better, but mm-hmm. you're never like, you're always training to be better. There's nothing you can reach. That's going to be good enough. Yeah. Or for me, I was a swimmer. There's never a time that I'm going to reach. That's going to be fast enough because wow. someone else is always faster. Mm. And so so like, how did that, your experience being a gymnast, especially when like you're, you're literally scored like perfect to (laughs) imperfect. So how did that experience play into that? that, Stick that move. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, That's something that I jokingly think about, like, is it the hen or is it the egg situation? Mm. Like Mm -hmm. those gymnastics create perfectionism in people or people with that bent are they drawn to sports like that Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that will ever have an answer but it is something that I've thought of because a lot of my old teammates that I still know of that we are (laughs) more of the high achieving perfectionist controlling type personalities Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's a product of the sport or we're just like that and we all found our way to gymnastics Mm -hmm. but yeah um it's it's tricky because you're right especially in gymnastics you are scored out of a perfect 10 Mm -hmm. and very rarely does anyone hit that perfect 10 Um, it's a subjective sport you train minimum 20 hours a week and like you said Catherine every time you go there's always at least one thing that you could be doing better Mm -hmm. and I think hearing the the coaches and your own voice and your teammates voice over and over on that reel like oh do this better next time or oh you should have done that Um, I think when you leave the sport, having to parse out, what do I want to take from that? That is beneficial and helps me and can drive me forward in a healthy way. And what do I need to recognize as not healthy or not helping me? And that's a, that's a challenging reframing mindset Mm -hmm. and process to go through, but I don't know. I think maybe I'm still working through that in some aspects, but Mm -hmm. I think that it it all comes back to where your identity is. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, for people who don't know the Lord and aren't Christians, I don't know how they go about Mm -hmm. reconciling that because I feel like you would always be stuck in that like, oh, nothing's ever good enough. Um, And so, yeah, I think just having the realization that like I'm a new creation in Christ and I don't have to be perfect. Um, is what I would consider, I guess, like my true north, even if I don't mm-hmm. always lean into that every day, at least I have that faith and I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about how that plays into your fulfillment. I know we talked about that as well, too. And you said that you you had some struggles with that um, coming right out of college and trying to find the right job or finding, you know, finding a place where you feel like you were going to start thriving um and then you know talk and then the whole you know working for a startup is like it's never those things startups we know like those things are they either take off and they do well or you you move on to the next one and you keep starting and that's the entrepreneur lifestyle so what what's it like for you to to go through that season but to also be finding fulfillment if you haven't yet 
Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think especially coming right out of school, I was a biology major, so I studied pre-med and worked probably harder <laughs> than the average college student and kind of, again, had this um, maybe warped sense that I worked really hard in college. And so as a result of that, I should end up with a job that I enjoy, that I earned, yeah. that I um, and fulfilled in doing because I worked so hard to get here. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely not my experience when I graduated in the life sciences. It's very typical to go to graduate school right after you finish your undergrad. And yeah. I realized that that wasn't the step that I wanted to take. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. And so I didn't want to invest a ton of time and money into a graduate program simply because all of my peers were doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up in a job that was, um, honestly just left me kind of bored and I didn't feel like I was quote unquote fulfilling my potential. Mm. Not that I had any idea what that potential was, but I just knew that I wasn't being challenged and I wasn't going in excited about my job every day. And that was challenging because I assumed that, well, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life is working. Like I want to at least find fulfillment or somewhat enjoy what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so wrestling through that and ended up taking a new job, which brought me to Chicago. And that was a complete pendulum of, okay, I'm not bored. Now I'm just really stressed because this is a sales job and there's metrics that I have to meet. And I feel like I'm constantly failing, um, which is not great for my overachiever perfectionist personality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think through that process, really struggling with, I want to find a job that's fulfilling. I want to be living out my purpose and feeling like I didn't know what that was. Mm. And it's a scary place to be sometimes, especially when you know you work so hard and you put the time in and you know you're fully, like those times when you know you're fully capable, but you're just not, you're not like seeing almost the fruits of that capability happen on the other side. You know, it's not, it's not what you're controlling, but it's just like, where is it? Where is my spot? Where's my place? Where's that job that is going to like make me shine into what I put the work in to be. And that is such a frustrating place to be and, and a scary place to be. And I totally feel that. Yeah. And I feel like I thought that it was so exclusive to my own life. And Mm. the more people I've talked to, the more I've realized that it's, it's not a unique situation just for me. A lot of people experience that dissonance and part of it is just becoming a professional Mm -hmm. and realizing how the working world works. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other part of it, I think was realizing that my fulfillment and purpose is never ultimately going to come from my job. Mm -hmm. Um, And that as a Christian, my purpose is to bring glory to God and to multiply And those are truths that I have found from scripture. Um, But that doesn't mean that you just stop and Mm -hmm. sit in the discontent of what you're at. It is a decision to recognize that your fulfillment and your identity come from the Lord, but Mm -hmm. that he's also uniquely gifted you in certain ways. And so really searching for what are the skills that I have? What do I enjoy doing outside of work and Mm -hmm. trying to look for that intersection of where those two things overlap Um, and realizing that maybe God has put you in a season or a place in your life where you're only working on one of those things. Maybe you're in a job that you don't love, but you're getting great skills 
and you're going to need those for your next step. Exactly. Or maybe you're in a spot where professionally it doesn't look as great on your resume, but you love what you're doing and mm-hmm. you love your coworkers and you're really thriving in that community and just staying there and growing for that season yeah, as well. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. And talking about like God giving you those gifts and those passions, you've channeled that into doing something now, working on a, a, a book which is amazing, which is a lot of people might have the words or be given the words and they just don't pick up the the pen or, or don't open the laptop. So you are doing that. You're in the midst of that. Um, tell us a little bit about how that seed was planted and how you've been watering it. Yeah, I am definitely in the thick of it right now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, but hold on. Congratulations, too, mm-hmm. because you hit your goal. You hit Thank your goal you. to to get it published, which is awesome. That's so I just right. want to take that time to congratulate you on that because yes. that is huge. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge confidence booster. So that's my my plug. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you both for supporting that process Absolutely. and pre-ordering copies because it would not be possible without the both of you. That's how um, you keep continuing to build the kingdom. You support each other. That is right. I love that. Um, yeah, so I think writing a book is something that I sort of always joked that I wanted to do Mm. and thought that I would eventually do at some point. I didn't really know what I wanted to write about. I sporadically blogged throughout college, I think honestly, maybe once a year. And Mm. for whatever reason, I thought that gave me enough credibility to then write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was just sort of chatting with a couple of people at just a potluck one night and two people back to back that I talked to, I had written or were in the process of writing books mm. and I was like, this is not normal. Where are you people coming from? <laughs> um, and one of the, the girls that I was chatting with was actually going through a program and it was through a professor at Georgetown and he taught this class. And so she ended up connecting me to it. And through one of, I guess they call them discovery calls. We just sort of mm. talked about what are the intersections of some of your interests? Because that's what makes for an interesting book. It's to maybe what you would think to be unrelated topics and how do those come together and have this provocative or research-driven approach. Mm. And so honestly, I mean, I feel like some people spend years thinking about what they want to write about and curating these thoughts, doing research. And to be completely open and honest, that Mm -hmm. has not been my experience. It's really just been a sprint the last nine months. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) As I started researching this curiosity that I had about women in the workplace Mm. and innovation from the startup perspective that I have, it sort of merged into this book called Why Women Innovate Mm. that sort of explores why it is that innovation has come about and then what that actually looks like in the lives of a variety of different women. And so a very research driven, a very story driven mm-hmm. approach. Um, and that's taken up a lot of my yeah. time the last nine months. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That is so good because it's like in a sense in the moment, like you said, you, you haven't spent a lot of time like getting into the research and things like that, but sometimes that's what happens when you are innovating, like you're going for it. You're, it's, you're, you have a question and you want an answer and you start just formulating it. You start figuring out how am I going to get there? And if, hey, writing a book about it and learning during the process, if that's how you're innovating and bringing this product and this uh, this information to the world, 
especially for women like that is that you are living into what you're calling it. You know what I mean? You are, mm-hmm. you are living that example. And I think that's so great. Um, how is it like, what was your process? So like putting yourself out there and, and I know you've interviewed a lot of really amazing, uh, females in the workplace and females who are, you know, CEOs, I'm sure, or authors and things like that. So like, what was it like putting yourself out there with this question? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that part of it is just, you just got to do it Mm -hmm. and not expect a lot in return. I would Mm -hmm. say for the 50 people I reached out to, maybe like eight to 10 would respond. Um, And so it's a lot of just casting a wide net and Mm -hmm. seeing what you get back. And from a first time author perspective, I really just took the approach of a learner and coming from a position of curiosity and seeking expertise um, because I'm not someone who has a title or recognition to throw behind the question of asking for an interview. And so it's really just kind of honestly being vulnerable and ignoring those um, imposter syndrome thoughts that Mm -hmm. pop up as to like, you're not qualified to do this. You shouldn't be asking for these people's time and really just like reaching out and being very honest and asking for help essentially. Um, Because what you're doing is asking someone to help you create a Mm -hmm. book. And I think for those who did respond, they were very special conversations and it was a mutual interest. And so the women who, I was able to get primary interviews with and feature in the book are just as invested in this topic as I am. And I I think that comes through when you, when you will read the book. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned the imposter syndrome because I feel like that is, and I don't know where that came from or what, but like, I feel like that's such a, a thing right now when people look because they see, we see all these other people doing it and we see people our age doing it, you know, in their twenties, they're successful. They, they have on their, their titles, their multi hyphenates, their, their authors, <laughs> bloggers, all this stuff. But it's like, why not you? Like, I believe, like for me, I believe Christ, what he did for us, he qualified us in that moment and knowing us from from our mother's womb and knowing what we're going to do, knowing that, hey, you were going to be this homeschooled gymnast who went off to college <laughs> and, you know, you did that. Like he knew every step of your life that you were going to take. Like the thing that I love is that he sees us in our complete self. And that is mm. something that, man, it's just like it gives me just so much encouragement to know like, man, when I'm in the thick of it, like you said, you're in the thick of it. You, you don't see the outcome because I believe once, and this is something my dad said, if we knew the outcome, we wouldn't put in the work because we know what it's going to be. You know, we, some of us might, I think Lindsay, you, you would probably, (laughs) you'd be like, well, that's the outcome. I'm going to work harder to make it better, (laughs) but that's okay. (laughs) But, uh, but you know what I mean? Like it's it's such um it's such a thing that we just discredit ourselves even before we start, man. And and that's something that I love that you're saying through your story. It's just the you you're being such an encouraging uh you're giving such an encouraging word right now because a lot of people who are are gonna listen to this episode or even us starting this podcast, like I know I'm like, am I qualified to do this? Like, do I have what it takes to do this? Uh, are people gonna want to be on this and share their story? Like, all those things come into mind, and I love that you're sharing that because it's just it's so real and it's, it's such a tangible feeling to have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm so thankful that you're like 
just going there with it, you know, and being vulnerable in that way. Cause that's a huge deal. Like you are writing a book girl. (laughs) I I am. I know it. I half the time can't believe it. And I think part of it too, when thinking about that, like I don't always think about it as once it's done and what it's going to be like when it's out in the world. I think I'm so focused and have tunnel vision on the creating process Mm. and and writing and revising and Mm -hmm. just getting it done that I haven't really spent too much time worrying about the outcome, which is rare for me and new for me. So I'm really (laughs) enjoying not overanalyzing what Mm -hmm. it might turn out to be. Mm. But yeah, I think sometimes we think so much about all of the things that could go wrong that we limit ourselves or prevent ourselves from even starting. Mm. And so I think at least for me, that's been an exercise and just trying to overcome that over analytical mindset of thinking about the hundred thousand ways it could go wrong and really just focusing on what I'm doing today that can help me get closer towards that goal. Mm -hmm. And it makes it almost more attainable when you look at it in that way, because it's like, you don't have to accomplish a million different things by like this day. It's like, this is what I have today and this is what I'm going to do today. And like setting it shorter like that makes it possible. It Mm -hmm. makes it, it makes it seem, um, doable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. My mom one time told me I was back in gymnastics days. I'd had a double foot surgery Mm. and I was thinking about where I was that day in a wheelchair with two casts on my feet. How am I ever going to compete in Mm -hmm. 10 months time? And she was like, well, let's not look at the big picture. Let's look at one thing that you can do today. Mm. And I think that was the first time I'd ever heard that advice to not look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it helps to just break it down into tangible chunks of what you can actively do today to make a difference Mm -hmm. instead of being overwhelmed by all the things that you can't control right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And just by you saying that too, because I've been told the opposite, like see the big picture, but. I love that you brought that up because you did mention something on our call. And I think earlier in, in this episode where you said every person uniquely approaches faith. And I feel like the same thing can be applied. Like there are some people who they're, they're doing all, all of their, they're reaching all those short term goals, but it's like they're reaching them and expecting and they're not seeing the, they're not realizing there is a bigger picture. Maybe they don't have to see the bigger picture, but realize there is one. And then for you who always looks at the bigger picture, because you know, by the work you put in and everything, what you're capable of, maybe it's breaking it down and, and having those building blocks and setting those foundations for yourself. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. It's knowing like which one you are more inclined to and working on the other one Mm -hmm. almost. (laughs) And that's like what I feel like me and Julian kind of are. He's such a big picture person and I'm such a details person. And so when we like kind of come together in that way, he pushes me to like hope and dream and like expand my vision. And I help him like come back down and ground Mm -hmm. down a little bit. So I think that's important to have, um, you know, an awareness of what you tend to and really actively work on Mm -hmm. the other. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And I think it's all part of being part of the body of Christ, especially as Christians, right? We're each uniquely gifted with things that we are supposed to be using in order to advance the gospel Mm. and support one another and be the hands and feet. And so if everyone was always doing the same thing and looking at things with the same perspective, Mm -hmm. we'd be missing out on (laughs) so so much. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Because you might be, you might be the eyes 
you can't be the feet because you had double feet surgery, a double foot surgery. <laughs> <but> <laughs> hey, man, but, that means they're even better now. <laughs> True. But you might be the eyes and, and, you know, somebody else might be the legs. And, and that's a great depiction, what you just said there, a great depiction of how it can work. And sometimes you just have to strengthen the things that are weak. And, and like, you know, they say about a, a bone, like, you know, so when it breaks, it can come back stronger. Am I saying that right? I want to make sure I'm mm-hmm. saying, I want to make sure mm-hmm. I'm talking science right to the biology major here. <laughs> yes, yes. Your uh, osteocytes will, will grow even stronger than before you broke Dang, she pulled out you broke textbook it. word right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great, man. And I, so the last thing that I want to touch on a little bit, though, if you, if you want to go there a little bit, is how your relationship with your boyfriend is strengthening that, that faith and everything that you're mentioning now. You know what I mean? Like, how is your relationship, um, how are you strengthening each other? Yeah, I love that question. And it has been honestly transformational. And I think that's a, a true mark of just a strong Christian relationship is mm-hmm. if you're with someone who's also pursuing Christ, then by nature of that, you would hopefully start looking more like Christ in whatever mm-hmm. way that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar to you know you and Catherine, we do have very different perspectives and ways of mm-hmm. looking at the world. And he is definitely more of the visionary and the um, the dreamer mm-hmm. and the planner mm-hmm. and maybe not always um, thinking about how he's going to get there, but where <laughs> he wants to go. Yeah. And I'm very much the the grounded one of the, the strategy and the execution. And like, are you sure you want to <laughs> you do that? I'm not seeing how that's going to happen. Um, but, but yeah, I think, especially from what we were talking a little bit about earlier, just some of the areas that I'm starting to see in my life Mm. that are sinful and that do need um, that sanctification process. He's been instrumental in pointing those out, but not from a critical way, Mm. but just from um, a place of love and wanting to help me and wanting me to grow closer to God. And um, I think that it's, it's really hard for someone who is very perfectionistic to Mm. kind of be vulnerable and be open and let someone speak truth into those areas Mm -hmm. that I want to be so defensive of. Um, But he is very forgiving and loving. And so I think that I have just, I've grown a lot in the past almost year that we have been together. That's awesome. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's so important because like for me, a lot of things didn't, didn't click until I had, somebody calling me out on those things and like you said not in a way of criticism um but in a way of just loving you while Mm -hmm. they're they're trying to just get you to question like hey is there another approach you can take to this hey are you feeling this way because of the way you want to feel or because of the way that this situation is making you feel like your reaction to it um and Mm -hmm. I love I love that you shared that because I think it's so important to have somebody who thinks alike and like uh, they use that term, somebody being equally yoked with you mm-hmm. and it just continues to strengthen that relationship. It continues to know you're on the same page. Um, and it's so important. It's so important. Um, yeah. one last thing I want to know is what, after everything we talked and thinking about the people who are listening to this, um, and we always want to make sure we relate to just the, even if it's just one who can take away from your story, that person who's like, man, I am like so on the same page with this girl in every way, or man, I feel that about the identity or I feel that about the fulfillment. What, what would your last piece of advice be or your last piece of uh, encouragement and love be? Mm, that's a good 
that's that's a great question. I think that I would want just that if there's only one person who hears this and relates to it, it would just be to give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. And if you are someone with more of a self-critical or over analytical mind, just knowing that nothing that you can do can ever earn you Mm -hmm. what Christ has already done for you. Mm -hmm. Preach girl. (laughs) And so just knowing that, you know, it's, it's always that saying like, Oh, nothing you've ever done is bad enough that Christ can't overcome it. And nothing that you could ever do could get you to where Christ is. But actually leaning into that and thinking about it and knowing Mm. that nothing you can do can earn your salvation. Mm. And, um, you know, as you're on the journey of faith and career and just adulthood in general, just really realizing that it's okay to forgive yourself. It's okay to extend yourself grace and that community is crucial to growth and Mm -hmm. support and encouragement. And so if you're not in community, just highly encouraging everyone to seek that out, especially, um, in the current time that we live in. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. Thank you so much for that. Um, and where can people find you, Lindsay? Where do you want to be found? found. (laughs) Your book, you as a person, if they want to get to know you a little bit more, you are doing like podcast after podcast. So God is just working (laughs) in your life. And I wouldn't say podcast after podcast, (laughs) but, um, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah. Where Um, can we find you? Yeah, I think for now, we will stick with Instagram. I've been sharing a lot about my book Mm -hmm. on that platform. And you can always DM me there and get the link to the website where my book was previously on pre-order. I have an overview video there and we'll just be posting a lot of updates on Instagram. And I believe the handle is Lindsay M underscore Coons. Um, so that is a great spot to reach me, um, for a slightly more professional place, LinkedIn, I'm on there. Um, and yeah, we'll be sharing a lot more about the book in the weeks to come. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your heart and a little bit about who you are and letting us, uh, just walk with you through all of that. We appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. I love what you're doing with the podcast and the space that you are creating for people to just open up and be vulnerable. And even if it's just reaching that one person, I am so honored to be a part of that process. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great rest of the Saturday. Get some coffee, some tea. That's right. (laughs) Y'all as well. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.